0: Thanks for downloading the Humanities Institute of Ireland podcast. This podcast features recordings of academic papers from events hosted by the Humanities Institute of Ireland in University College Dublin. For more information, go to www.ucd.ie forward slash HII. In this episode, as part of an Irish Studies session on Contemporary Ireland, a paper by Professor Brian Fanning of the UCD School of Applied Social Science. Professor Fanning's paper was entitled immigration and the politics of Irish identity. Uh, maybe if I just spend a minute or two explaining my preoccupations. Um, I graduated in the 80s, lived in the UK for a decade uh, in a multi-ethnic environment, worked in that, came back to Ireland and saw the beginnings of what turned out to be very large-scale immigration. was fascinated by that, in solidarity with that you could say, Uh, Also keenly aware because of the kinds of jobs they had in the UK, the sorts of issues uh, that migrants might face in Irish society are indeed the kinds of challenges Irish society might face in coming to terms with its diverse population. Also understanding uh, that whatever played out in Ireland would be quite different from, in many respects, uh, from what has occurred in other countries. Uh, Since then... I've done a number of research projects at the 2000-2001, did a number of studies on the experiences of asylum seekers for the Irish Refugee Council, then did a number of studies, in particular with an African organisation called the Africa Centre, on immigrants in Irish politics, and the aim of this action research was to encourage immigrants to stand as candidates, to encourage Irish political parties to actively recruit immigrants as candidates, but also think of them as voters and people they should respond to. The openness that we could exploit in that context was the fact that you didn't have to be an Irish citizen to vote in the local government elections. So you could think of, the, if you will, a a political advantage for parties for getting involved in there. In 2004, uh, two of six asylum seekers who stood for local authority elected office as councillors were elected. Tio Matthews, in Innes County Clare, where I lived, Uh, And Rotimi Adabari in Portlaoise. Uh, Rotimi Adabari has gone on to be rather worn out and worn down by the international interest in the fact that he was Ireland's first black mayor. Didn't stop me, however, from putting his picture on the cover of one of my books. I'll pass this postcard around, and I'm going back because of visual images matter. So, pass a few of these around not just trying to books here, but I'm going to talk about covers as well. Covers do matter. So the research I've been doing has involved uh, how immigrants might actively or fruitfully participate in Irish society, uh, but it's also been undertaken in a certain context. And maybe if I step back and talk about the context, the first thing is that if you read the Irish Times today, you will find out that seventeen percent of the population of Ireland was born outside the state. Now this includes people who are born in the United Kingdom and indeed other countries, who have Irish heritage. But they are a minority now. They're not even the largest group of newcomers, if we want to call them that. Those are the Polish at 122,000. There are more Polish-speaking, there's more polish being spoken in Ireland than Irish. Uh, You have have a number of other groups then that form rather significant and large communities. Uh, They have come in different ways. A number of them are from the European Union. Ireland made some decisions around 2004, that radically, I think, transformed the state and the country. In 2004, we had a referendum on citizenship. And this referendum decided that basically Irish-born children of migrants were not to be Irish citizens by birth. That, in other words, citizenship related back to being the children of existing citizens who were essentially part of the same ethnic group. So in in essence, basically, you had a sort of a strange 19th century, uh, what we call a just sanguine or kind of bloodline concept of citizenship being reinstated in the 21st century as a response to globalisation. So this seems to be a huge step of closure that you have people who were in Ireland and had Irish born children and those children could be Irish citizens. What could be easier than that? The problem is is that most countries don't do that and Ireland existed in common borders with other parts of Europe and there were political pressures on the state to maintain those borders and it is essentially a social fact Unfortunately, unfortunate set of circumstances perhaps the governments do protect their sovereignty and there are a lot of things that seem like very good ideas when it comes to including people, like for example making citizenship accessible to people who live down the street from you or next door to you or who go to school with your children, uh, making it difficult for them. So states do that and at the same time states try and include. So in trying to understand how migrants are received and perceived in Ireland, this referendum on citizenship constitutes this huge fact that layers at us. The fact basically being that 80% of those who voted in the referendum, Irish citizens, uh, mostly from the same ethnic group, decided uh, to vote against the idea of children being, who were born of immigrants being, keep, keeping that birthright to citizenship. So 80% of Irish citizens decided that the uh, Irish-born child of a, an immigrant was not Irish. That is a, a very big and difficult fact to deal with. And in the margins, it colours an awful lot of what goes on. It shapes, basically, pragmatic political responses to things. And at the same time, Irish society is capable of these radical acts of openness. In 2004, the very same year of the referendum, it's one of three European countries that throws open its borders immediately to people to come and live and move without visas from the new 10 accession countries. And that was the greatest act of social engineering Irish society has experienced, I think, in well over a century. And that has given us 122,000 polls, It has given us uh, uh, the third largest community, I think, is Lithuanian. Uh, It has given us a a very large proportion of our society is now made up of people who, if you will, took advantage of that ability to move within Europe and to come and live in Ireland. And even though the last census gave us a a picture of a very large immigrant population, the general perception was with the downturn people would move away. But we still had ongoing immigration right through the recession just as we have emigration going out. So Irish society is open to both immigration and emigration. I would define it as radically open to both. And that's a very, very interesting sort of thing to bear in mind if one thinks about the the rules of belonging that pertain to living in this particular club called the Irish Nation State. In other words, it is willing to shed population and is willing to be open to people. What kind of people is willing to accept? What kind of people does it shed? You can come at it in a number of ways. The ways I want to come at it here, for the purposes of, if you will, fitting into the sort of approach to Irish studies we might have here, is to talk about maybe different ways in which we could talk about the Irish, or the new Irish as one label put it. So who are the new Irish? It's a term that had some salience, there were the new communities that was used for a while. Uh, What do we mean? When a politician talks about migrants as the new Irish, does he mean that they are really Irish, that they are Irish citizens, that they are us? of the big Sinn Féin of our community? Uh, or does it mean that they just merely live here and we'd be nice to them about how we talk about them? Or does it mean that they're welcome in our job markets but little else? What we have in Ireland is the absence, the strange and bewildering absence about a de- of a debate about what it is to be Irish in a context where now 17% of the population were born outside the Irish state. There are very few iconic pictures, there are very few programmes, there are very few things that debate this or consider this. There has been no national debate on what it means to be Irish. Some countries have tried to instigate those debates. By and large, those debates kind of come a cropper. The French tried one a couple of years ago. It was not a big success for them. The English tried one uh, in the wake of the correct report uh, in the 90s. Uh, so this idea that you have a state-managed debate about what it is to be Irish, French or English, uh, that certainly hasn't even been tried in the Irish case. If you look at Irish media and who our journalists are, it's a very monoethnic bunch. If you look at coverage of immigrants and immigration, it's very, very marginal. If you try and get a book reviewed on immigration in the Irish Times, well, good luck to you. Um, you know, it, 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 if you try and go to a publisher even to write a book on, on immigration in Ireland, you'll say no one's interested in reading about this kind of stuff. Of course they are in academic niches and so on, but what I'm saying to you is that in many respects the fact that we're a diverse society hasn't really crossed over into political debates. So there are are real issues about deciding who is Irish, who is not Irish, and how we might think about it. The empirical definition of Irish is citizen. You're an Irish citizen, and this is a very important definition, a very important concept citizenship, because it, it affects the nature of our solidarity towards others. There's a tsunami on the other side of the world and 16,000 people are killed. What's the headline? Two Irish people nearly drowned. Yeah. If people, if, if, if you go on to Joe Duffy and you hear about an African child being deported back to Africa, if it's an Irish citizen, the lines will be hopping. If the child is not an Irish citizen, the lines won't be. Uh, the way in which the state dealt with this was that, that it, it, it did work in its own ways to try and undermine solidarity with migrants, to distinguish, to build administrative and cognitive Distinctions between us and them, as a means of, if you will, managing the borders and managing the state and doing its job. Uh, the old legislation used to refer to uh, non-citizens as aliens. So you had the Aliens Act, Aliens Act during World War One, uh, and the Aliens Act of 1935. Uh, around the beginning of the 21st century, uh, the new term was created to replace aliens, and it was called non-national. And you can have great semantic fun with the term non-national, because non-national, what does that mean? Does that mean a member of no nation or not a member of the Irish nation? So journalists and and, and people who who are politically correct in many ways in their lives will talk about non-nationals, as in a non-national was arrested today or I was speaking to this non-national in Temple Bar last night. It's It's a term, it's a particularly Irish term. If you, want to play, if you want to play with that and pick up on that, what we're talking about here is some kind of distinction between members of the nation and those who are not members of the nation. Hence the title of one of the books, New Guests of the Irish Nation, after the Frank O'Connor story. So the idea that the Irish nation constitutes a group of people with whom we're in solidarity, the idea that it's diasporic, that in times of recession and in other times, and there's a business case for reaching out to it, we talk about the diasporic Ireland of 50 million say Irish, we give Barack Obama on St. Patrick's Day a certificate uh, telling him that he has limited Irishness, and this is great. he can't put him to the bank and become an Irish citizen or anything, but he has a certificate of Irish heritage. So these sorts of things are consciously manipulated by the state. They, you have people like David McWilliams who argue we should invest in our diaspora, leave the European Union, and, and basically close our borders to migrants. He did that in, his, in one of his books. He never got anywhere with that argument. People were mostly not interested, and so it didn't pick up much media traction. But this idea that we're in solidarity with international Irish and that we are basically very preoccupied with Irishness in relation to that. But we have very, very limited curiosity about what Irishness constitutes within a diverse society, and that most of the debate has been driven and run on very, very, very old-fashioned lines, be it the state notion of citizenship as some kind of, uh, well, a, a sanguine formulation that essentially is a 19th century, kind of returned to a, a very basic sort of idea of almost uh, blood Irishness, the idea of the Irish race as in the biological Irish race, to listening to radio programmes like a Ryan Tuberty programme of, say, two years ago when I was driving the car, and he was interviewing notable Protestants in Irish society. They were racehorse trainers and people of high accomplishment. But they were a bit different, and his question was, over an hour, were they really Irish? Did they feel Irish? And they admitted that they had problems feeling Irish, but the point of it is is that this programme interested loads of people. I found it interesting myself. These people, they had very real identities, uh, the, the radio host was merely setting up a sort of a, a conversation, but it was such an old-fashioned conversation, you know, that you can imagine and say, I don't know, uh, a, a kind of uh, some of my Nigerian students listening to that as they were driving into UCD, wondering what they would make of it. Yeah? In other words, basically, that when we stop and think about what it is to be Irish, uh, we are we're, we're quite willing to think diasporically, but we're, we have a major problem in thinking locally, uh, and this is certainly something that has has played very sort of a, has had a big sort of off-stage influence in an awful lot of the work I've been trying to do because a lot of the research I've been trying to do in social policy would be really trying to lever some form of sense or greater senses of solidarity with migrants, be they citizens or non-Irish citizens living in Ireland. So in essence, basically, I teach social policy, I, I do a lot of policy work, so my basic argument goes something like this. If we spend generations figuring out what works well for, say, meeting the needs of a child in our society or indeed the health well-being of a member of our society, if we have all this cumulative knowledge and experience, why then do we take everything we know about what works and put it in a dustbin when we talk about non-citizens or talk about people who exist outside some dominant notion of community? That we have to reinvent the conversation again. One of the things the states do, not just the Irish state, but states do, is that they basically place people in administrative boxes. So the citizens basically... Have, have certain rights and, and there are conversations and citizenship is experienced very differently by perhaps men, women, gay, straight, old, young. We can talk about these differential experiences of citizenship, we can try and do something about them. So even the very rhetoric of citizenship and social citizenship and the whole rhetoric of equality is so bound up with nationality. Hannah Arendt said it once, you know, we experience our rights, not as humans, but by as members of polities and collectives. So, in the sense, basically, that Hannah Arendt talks about rights, rights exist. Yes, you can talk about uh, imprescribable human rights. Yes, you can talk about UN charters, but these matter only insofar as states and societies will do something about them. So, for example, we have a problem in Ireland of non European Union uh, migrants who've been living in Ireland for 10 years, many of whom are African, many of whose children are now on the cusp of coming to third level, who, because their parents are not European Union citizens, won't be entitled to come to UCD. Uh, this Generation 1.5, as they were called, people who came in quite early but have grown up Irish, those who are non-citizens, haven't access to things that we would expect our children to have access to, and their life choices are going to be stymied by this and affected by this. And it's not a burning issue for anyone. There's nobody jumping up and down at it. It's it's something that a few organisations like the Immigrant Council of Ireland try and organise a little happening or event about now and again. And we get a little corner of the Irish Times but not the other newspapers and then everybody forgets about it. We're not in solidarity necessarily with people who are not Irish citizens. at certain important levels that are also cognitive levels. And it plays out cognitively and that's very important. To understand, There are some theorists out there, I won't go into the details of their work, but you describe them as sociobiologists, you describe them as even biological racists, but they tend to make the argument that we are naturally in solidarity with people most like us, first of all our kin, and beyond that our ethnos, and after that everybody else, and only after that everybody else. This idea, if you will, that there are degrees of solidarity we are capable of, that we may profess a cosmopolitanism, we may profess a universal humanism, but in reality we only care about some people and we're profoundly disinterested in the rest. And that certain cognitive tools and devices, I guess be more sociological about it, bring us into a feeling of solidarity with some. Citizenship is quite important. Why is citizenship important? In a society where we have 900, sorry, 700,000 plus migrants living in Ireland, something like 17% of the population, I think it is, you know, only 35,000 of them are Irish citizens. That means when elections happen uh, and politicians walk down the street looking for votes, they see a black face they don't think of asking for the vote. A friend of mine who works with the Union Council of Ireland, Fidel Mortuara uh, he's a research officer, noted that. And the following day, because he's a good activist, he had a flash mob outside of Dáil Éireann, they made YouTube videos and had loads of migrants who were Irish citizens telling stories about how they weren't being asked for their vote. This is important activism, but the bottom line reality is only 35,000 such persons, and many of the rest are not Irish citizens. Uh, political parties are pragmatic, so when asking them to be inclusionary, uh, if they are turning out and looking actively for the votes of people who are not ethnically Irish, they're in good. The big challenge for Irish society is to somehow. Break up or create a disjuncture between the traditional notion of Irishness that is white and Celtic and has a certain brogue and plays well in Hollywood movies or experienced globally in certain kinds of ways, and basically also have people who are as naturally Irish, as, say, uh, as black, say, as, 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 people, as, as people like, say, certain major BBC figures in the UK, sportsmen and so on and so forth, women. And other roles. So there is an issue of representation, certainly, but there's also the underlying empirical problem, that only a small number of migrants are are, 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 are empirically Irish in the sense of being citizens. Now you might say at the back of the room, or indeed the front, why are you basically so in favour of this old-fashioned concept of citizenship? Well, I'm not in favour per se, and I would have been very sceptical of nationalism and the necessity for strong nationalisms, but I would say that even when a society... Plays down its nationalisms. And when one thinks of Irishness as basically touted around the world by Irish politicians and leaders or practiced by our political parties, it is mostly a very, very softened thing. It is kind of, it seems defanged compared to the old great blood and soil nationalisms of the 19th and 20th century. It's a nationalism that doesn't want to do any harm, it doesn't want to give any great offence. Nobody's insisting that there are any essential criteria for being Irish. In a sense, nationality is ultimately lightly worn. But at the same time, our cultural studies colleagues will tell us that, that, that there, 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 there are deep underlying currents uh, and senses of identity that play out as feelings of Irishness or perceptions of Irishness or gendered Irishness or, or, or racialised Irishness and so on and so forth. So, so in, in a sense, we, are, we the Irish, if you want to include myself in that old-fashioned old, old category think we're Irish, but if asked on a vox pop to explain what exactly that means, would be kind of stuck to explain what exactly that means. Does it mean talking a certain kind of way? Does it mean drinking too much beer, getting sunburned too easily? Uh, I don't know. So this, I'm Irish, but I can't nail down what it is in the current climate. I don't feel especially uh, nationalistic, but I also feel Irish. Many other people do so as well. But somehow, without necessarily being told, people like me distinguish and, uh, in terms of our solidarities between an us and a them. Uh, And I think the degrees of difference between how mainstream society does that and fringe elements is rather minor in some respects. So the idea, basically, that we are, if you will, a a nationality, a nation, a nation-state that is still an ethnos, is a problem. And even though we wear our nationality lightly, we are still capable of very strong acts of what I call ethnic nepotism. Nepotism in the sense of favouring one's own, ethnic in the sense of having it around an ethnic grouping – And the citizenship referendum is probably one good empirical piece of evidence on that. That we think of ourselves as in solidarity with people like us who are co-citizens. But as we know, nationality in that sense is a social construct. It is essentially a system of rules that can be amended or changed. And my hope would be to see the balance of that change or disrupted to the extent that when we think of who our solidarity as fellow Irish people is with, that we include people who are of Chinese heritage, Nigerian heritage, Polish heritage and other heritages. Various academics and much of the writing on, on, on basically migration comes at it from a cosmopolitan angle and basically you know, in, in, in invokes cosmopolitan literatures to argue that there's an awful lot more to being human than basically having to being anchored in a very old-fashioned sense of national identity. And I would, to that I would say of course there is. But there are also are the protections and solidarities that come with being a member of one or more particular national groupings. So, so what I would sort of say, my hope would be for my life is to see some kind of nation-building project for the 21st century that is adaptive, that changes, if you will, the, 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 the rules of belonging to reflect the, the ongoing changes to the composition of society. And that kind of brings me into why I would look at, say, uh, why, why I would look, say, at the sort of uh, immigrant participation in politics. Um, in 2003, myself and a friend of mine I mentioned, Fidel, worked for Arcebo of the Immigrant Council of Ireland and the Immigrant Council wasn't there then he was working for the Africa Centre which he was the co-founder of had this idea that we'd produce a very short report but we would simply go and ask all the political parties what they were doing to encourage immigrants uh, to vote for them uh, to encourage immigrants to be members of their parties and to encourage immigrants as candidates and we would basically say in our approach that we aimed to publish the results before the election and we did that and the first thing we ever got of it was, Jesus, I haven't thought of that. That's a strange one. Or even, I mean, a, a few years ago in another book, uh, we published the field notes of, of, of one of the interviews by uh, one of the, 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 the third member of our team, Nelta Chanmayo, uh, who's a Zimbabwean woman. And he, the guy on the phone from Fianna Fáil said, you know, this is the first time I've ever spoken speaking out to a black woman. You know? And it was like that. And you say, you say, oh, my God, that's terrible. But I think, oh, my God, that's great. But the thing of it is is, is, is only by, if you will, challenging them uh, and challenged their offices. The second thing we learned about how small Irish political parties are, and how almost anybody can wander off the street and be part of one of them if you really want to, with the exception of Sinn Féin, which is a kind of a difficult organisation to, to gain access to. It's very hierarchical, it's very top-down run. But what we found, essentially, there was there was no unwillingness of political parties to consider the issue in 2004. Uh, political parties didn't get round to selecting any candidates, although the progressive Democrats did. The Progressive Democrats had a, a constitution that effectively prevented immigrants from being members of the party, but they openly changed it before the general election, once our results were published. They changed the same day a report came out, and that counted for something. And they didn't last much longer than that, so you know, there were other reasons for their demise, I suppose. But so, at that time, we had, we had basically, we had the 2004 election. We repeated the research in 2007. This was a national election, and at that time there were very few immigrants entitled to vote. And the parties were much less open in 2007 to deal with us, talk with us, take us seriously, than they were in 2004. So there was this sort of sense that in 2004, when there's local elections, when non-citizens can vote, at least we're going to get the, we're going to get the appearance of interest, and we can try and do something with that, parlay it into something a bit bigger, get a bit of a debate going. In 2007, the doors are closed. And the same pattern reasserted itself in the last two elections – the last local government election, the last general election. In the last government election, local government election, we, were, we, had, we had an urchus grant, had a postdoc, uh, you know, was in a position not just to go and talk to the political parties at length about what they were going to do, but also to go and interview all the immigrant candidates who were standing. Now, we got to interview about half of them, and they broke down fairly evenly between Eastern Europeans and Africans. Uh, so we were talking about real people and their real reasons for, for getting involved in Irish politics. Uh, the political parties themselves had also been pressed by NGOs to do something about this issue of, of opening themselves up to, to the diversity of Irish society and, and what happened was kind of interesting um, um, and it just explains how random these things can be uh, there was a woman doing a, a master's degree in UCD, she was a Polish woman an Italian husband, such so an Italian name and she went and interviewed Fina Fall for her own master's thesis and they offered her a job on the spot as their integration officer Affine Gale acquired their integration officer when a, a, a guy who had done a master's in international relations in, 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 back in Poland uh, he basically wrote a letter to them, basically saying he offered to be their integration officer, saying that he was broadly in sympathy with their political uh, views, being a member of Civic Forum back in Poland. Uh, so they bought him in for an interview, and Dennis Nocton, whoever, and gave him a job, and he was their integration officer. And then those two political parties started doing an awful lot on their websites to encourage the Polish. You understand this because their integration offices were Polish. So suddenly, Fien Fáil, Fien Gael have Polish, Polish on their websites. The other political parties then were also approached by others and encouraged to, to reach out. And what's interesting is, is how, much, how much like some sort of random dance the whole thing seems to be. Fien Gael seemed to be, you, you know, the thesis would, Fien Gael, yeah, a bunch of conservative Christian Democrats, right-wingers to boot, of course they're going to love Catholic Poles if they're going to like anybody at all, and they're going to reach out actively for them. But they turned out having more African candidates than Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil, you would say, well, Fianna Fáil are a pragmatic bunch. They'd probably take anybody's vote who was going. And indeed, you had scenarios whereby immigrants who had some profile in the community were being asked by several different political parties if they would be the party's candidate. So I know of one candidate, for example, Patrick McFosso in the north inner city, who was asked by three political parties, would he want to be their candidate? And he said, no to all. preferred to run as an independent So you have the political parties beginning to engage with migrants as if they were like anybody else. In other words, if this person was a conduit to votes, let's have them. If this person looks like they'll be a conduit to votes, let's have them in by all means. But it's not about any equality policy per se. Labour Party had a much more formalised equality agenda. They have a, an equalities officer who chaired many meetings. But the Labour Party were, were very poor by standards of fiend gain and fiend fall at moving any immigrants into positions where they might be candidates. This is because their organisation was one which, in which it had been member for a number of years to get the kind of traction, especially the Dublin area, to be nominated. They had a gender quota and thought, in those terms, unlike other parties, but weren't very good. Pre- there was very, very migrants were finding it very hard to break in. Green Party was a tiny outfit, you could just wander off the street and join them, they will stand you somewhere, you never know. But the election of it being as it was, the reputation of the Green Party being so poor off the back of Fianna Fáil, those candidates didn't do well. So parties all responded very differently, uh, and immigrants found reasons for coming forward to, do the, to be involved in, in, in politics. The research I was involved in was very interested in the attributes of the immigrants who got involved in Irish politics. So some of the paper, one of the papers looks at that, and uh, another strand of the research was looking very much at the responsiveness to immigrant candidates. Uh, the immigrant candidates themselves, I mean, were, were very interesting. Um, the, the, I mean, the hypothesis, by the way, just out of interest, we went in with from the international literature was uh, we looked at basically how we we, we looked at things like religiosity, uh, and we looked at things like social capital and cultural capital and all these various things, but. Taking briefly from the literature in the United States, we we looked at the differences between, in our our literature review, or one of them, between, say, African Americans and American politics and Hispanic Americans. And what were the differences? And we looked at Catholicism and other religions being part of the way we might think about that, rather than skin color, say. So African Americans tended to use their Protestant denomination churches entrepreneurially, and that basically went into civil rights and, and various other forms of activism, and sometimes got translated into political careers. So many of the most notable African-Americans in politics have had the word reverend in front of their name, Martin Luther King and so on. Uh, Catholics tended to act very much as Catholics are, are required to act by their church. They act as passive clients of priests and, 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 and they would have priests as leaders. Uh, and, and therefore, basically, were much more less likely to be kind of entrepreneurial in that Protestant church sense. And we certainly found that out playing out amongst the Poles in Ireland vis-a-vis the Catholics. So the Polish people we interviewed who were members of political parties, Fiengeil, Fienge, Fienfól. Uh, they, they were typically members of one Polish-led organisation, Forum Polonia, which is one of those organisations like Greenpeace you join on the, on the internet. It's got a small, very active membership representing the interests of the Polish diaspora. You know, Forum Polonia in Ireland looks after Poles in Ireland and so on around the world. And they're very young and vibrant and interesting people. But most of their members are essentially subscription members and rather passive Poles were likely to be very active in the labour market, working long hours typically are cliched, uh, and not really members of anything but perhaps the Church, uh, and, and that certainly helped them with some connections and sense of solidarity. So the idea of Catholicism playing a, a role of solidarity uh, certainly, if you will, was, was, was experienced with, with some candidates, and that hypothesis certainly held some water. Poles, by being Catholics, I mean, we had one guy, we interviewed him and he said, well, you know, how did you join Fiengier? Well, I was at Mass, and after Mass I was asked to go to a meeting, I went to a meeting and before you know it, I was a candidate. So that kind of route did seem to fit the, if you will, the Gale thesis or the idea that Gael might be going after Poles because they're kind of Christian Democrats just like them. Africans were very, very interesting, and I think the, 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 the other big difference between Africans and Poles other than skin colour is that one is from the European Union and the other isn't. Uh, one of our other hypotheses was that migrants from the EU countries, because they could move back so easily and had reciprocal rights in different countries, and, made, and, and basically would not necessarily take out citizenship in an under-member state. And that is one of the issues. So we have a very large Polish community of well over 100,000, and the percentage of them likely to be becoming Irish citizens is rather small, because to do so they have to give up their Polish citizenship. It's very difficult to give up your Polish citizenship, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that's an issue. Uh, so whether those people become Irish in the sense of becoming Irish citizens is a very, very big issue in the future. So you have over 100,000 polls, most of those are adults, therefore potential voters. You can imagine what that would do in an election if it could be mobilised. It's certainly a big interest group, but they're not likely to have votes in the parliament. Africans are, however, what can I say about Ireland's African population? I mean, many of them come out of asylum seekers and they have run the gauntlet of direct provision, of, of heinous racism, of exclusion from the employment market. Uh, you know, even in the boom Africans were several times less likely to be in paid employment and to experience discrimination, to racist violence. Uh, I've done research on that recently. And it's it's eye wateringly horrible. Uh, so very, very, the, all these risks of marginalisation, uh, risks, uh, a real sense of uh, a lack of access to the economy, uh, and a real sense. But but uh, but also, forty one percent of Nigerians have degrees or equivalent, so often a very able population as well. Frantically trying to get involved, frantically trying to participate, frantically trying to integrate, frantically trying to build lives for themselves and their families, often working very hard at this. So the African candidates we looked at were typically members of a number of organisations. They were typically members of several Irish-led organisations and several immigrant-led organisations. So they might be members of, uh, say, um, Afri- uh, migrant women's networks, uh, but also basically their local G A club or something. So joiners, but joiners to survive, joiners out of necessity, uh, active in churches, active in community, active in NGOs, uh, frantically active. Uh, many people I know who are able, who are migrants, have, have not been able to build, who are black, who have not been able to build standard careers that you'd expect of their skills, but have gone the NGO route, mostly because in the NGO sector, they don't meet quite the same sense of barriers and you know, the, the same racisms, the same obstacles, and also they can build niche things for themselves and their communities around their own identity. So, African, Africans were, were, were very likely to be members of, of, of lots of different organizations. When we interviewed the Africans about themselves, what sort of people are you? We asked them about the membership of organizations back in their countries of origin. So, we'd ask questions like, well, you know, were you a member of a political party back in Nigeria? And they would get answers like very Irishy answers. I know, but my, my brother was, and my, my, my father was mayor, and my uncle was this and that. So sometimes, basically, the idea, a, a, a experience of, of trying to participate in politics from their own countries of origin, quite strong amongst African candidates in particular. Polish candidates, incidentally, uh, didn't, they, they had a, an idealised sense of doing things in their community, but an antipathy to formal politics that I think owes something to the communist era uh, and, 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 and a distrust of state, if you will. So African people were, 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 who were engaged in politics in Ireland were, were often also very very clear thinking and, and, uh, about what they were trying to do. They were trying to participate in their communities of, of choice uh, against considerable obstacles and against uh, the often bemused perceptions of others that indeed they were members of such communities. But the strategy that a number of them took in doing this was, we had, I, I was the research also included not only individual research, but bringing most of the candidates together after the elections, and most of them were not elected, to reflect on what work did not work. Uh, and some of these sessions were, 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 were supervised, were in the City Hall building and so on. So we were asking people, well, what, what did you do, and how did it go wrong for you, and all this kind of thing. So one woman basically would say, she was basically, every time she's up to speak, this African woman, she would say, as a dark woman, I feel. And this was the thing, the strategy of localism, of, of, of assuming the local identity, and emphasising one's connection with a place. I mean, you could argue that people become integrated into a society, either ideologically, but in, in material terms, they basically become integrated into particular local, localities, particular streets, particular places. And so those places where, if you would, concrete manifestations of integration, or its opposite, happen. So what you had were basically Africans who consciously were representing themselves as from Dundalk, from, 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 from Drogheda, from Balbriggan, And these were the places where where, where candidates emerged. And they were referring to themselves as Irish. Roddy Doyle, in the run-up to the election, published a a, 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 kind of a a story that ran for several weeks, ran for four or five weeks, in the four or five weeks leading up to the local elections. Roddy Doyle's a very interesting man, I'm sure you're all aware of him in his work. One of the things he does behind the scenes is actually do quite a lot of funding of immigrant-led NGOs and so on and so forth, and he's very canny. He also has a long-running involvement with Metro Airing, which is the immigrant-owned newspaper. It's run by some Nigerian journalists, and it, it basically carries a Roddy, Roddy Doyle stories week by week, and some of these then are turned into books, like his book The Deportees. But Roddy Doyle had this kind of canny story where he took this fictional Nigerian woman candidate in Gale and took her through her paces on the doors of, 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 of Mulhuddart. Mulhuddard, by the way, being the ward in Dublin 15, where not one, not two, but three Africans stood for a local election. If one of them had stood, I think we'd have had a councillor from Mullhudard. But what happened was Fien Gale got one, then Fien Fall selected one, and then this independent guy stood as well. So in Mullhudard, where there is, if you will, a concentration of Africans, disproportionately compared to the rest of society, where you might expect maybe one or two percent, to basically, to, to, there, it's, it's not a ghetto... The top of ghettos are, Mulhudert well, is not a ghetto, nor is Dublin 15, but there are, by comparison to other parts of Ireland and Dublin, significant numbers of African people living in Mulhudert, Dublin 15, and swords. And there are good reasons for that. There are... But leaving aside those reasons, in that area, Roddy Doyle's short story is on Mulhudert and on fictional candidates. And it was amazing how how he kind of anticipated the sorts of issues, and his short story plays out and plays consciously with the idea of Irishness and Irish identity, and whether she was the Irish candidate or the immigrant candidate, and so on and so forth. The field notes, we had our interviews with candidates. We did a case study of, um, of Dundalk. There were two immigrant candidates standing in Dundalk. One stood for the Greens, one stood for Gale. And we interviewed the candidates, but we also ran focus groups in the area. We interviewed other members of the political parties, and that great tool of the Irish researcher, with the single transferable vote, we 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 kind of, uh, sort of transferable vote system. We're able to look not just at votes but at transfers. And what transfers are really cool at is identifying not just your who you support but who you also support. So, for example, uh, you know, did Sinn Fein supporters transfer to the new candidate or not? Did Fingale supporters transfer, sorry, did Fingale supporters transfer to the European candidate or not? So based on this we were able to create some kind of, if you will, look at, examine, challenge and maybe even debunk a few things. But certainly in our field notes and in our interviews and our focus groups for, for, for Dundalk what came across very strongly was this sense of localism. The idea of that there was this local community and the sense of Dundalk as a place that you either belonged to or didn't. Uh, and that basically you had not just migrants saying, I don't belong there, but you also had Irish people saying, well, I'm living here and I feel like a blow-in or whatever as well. And this idea that Dundalk jobs are for Dundalk people, so how could we change the landscape of Dundalk? Uh, so, so, so certainly the, the, the strategy of candidates who were relatively successful were to, were to emphasise or play up a, a strong sense of local identity. Now, this wasn't without its complexities or difficulties for the persons. The very person who said... Not the, another African woman who also was in Dundalk, said, said, you know, and asked on local radios, and are Dundalk people racist? And she says, let me tell you about Dundalk people. Dundalk people are the loveliest in the world. In other words, you dodge the question, because there's no votes in going on Dundalk radio and calling Dundalk people a bunch of racists, uh, even though her experience in Dundalk was, includes experiences of racism. So they're quite complex strategies that people have to play from outside from below to negotiate the local identity of, say, Dundalk. Going back to uh, go, go in, 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 Dun, sorry, in Dundalk in Dun, sorry, in Drogheda, pardon me that, that person was Drogheda, in Dundalk, what was interesting was we wouldn't have expected many transfers uh, from Sinn Féin frankly. Sinn Féin is a very interesting party and it has all the attributes political scientists would tell you of a right-wing populist party except that it's a left-wing party. In other words, it has a cosmopolitan, republican, open elite whose ideas are often very, very inclusive but its, its followers tend not to be but all Irish political parties have elites that come across as a lot more inclusive than their supporters. And we tend to have an elites in this country who articulate cosmopolitan, inclusive and open ideas uh, that, are, that are perhaps in, a, in, 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 in my, I won't use the word, more advanced, but certainly more inclusive than, 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 than the voters they're going after. And that is quite interesting. And that includes the Labour Party as well. It includes... Sinn Féin as well. So Sinn Féin, only, tra- only 7% of people who voted Sinn Féin transferred their vote to, to the immigrant woman. No, but no wonder she was in She, 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 she was in Fingale. So what Sinn Féin, What self-respecting Sinn Feiner would support a Fingale person, even if they were black or African? So we looked at basically transfers that prepared like with like, and we found, say, with another candidate, that, that, you know, that, that transfers from Sinn Féin were at least as good as those experienced by other political parties. So it's, what I'm sort of saying to you is that it's very hard to, to draw clichés here about, you know, where the inclusion or exclusions lie. Uh, but one of the arguments for looking at the locality is that it allows you to break away from merely talking about Irishness in terms of the nation-state and the rules of state and discourses of inclusiveness or indeed the laws of the land. Because it is possible, and it has been found to be, that you can be in solidarity with somebody on your street or in your community uh, because you feel they're, they're part of your community, rather than having this merely ideological association with somebody because of nationality. So in other words, localism can at times disrupt ideas of belonging that are formed around nation and nationality, or even ethnos. And localism is a kind of, you know, has its openness and it has its closures as well, but it is also there to be played for. In other words, basically, you might have problems as an African person dealing with people who don't accept that you are Irish but you might be accepted as a member of certain communities, be they faith communities or locality-based communities or other. So the places within which we are included and excluded, there are many different sites uh, and the strategies of, of, of African candidates in the local elections was, was, was to identify with locality. The candidate who did that most successfully was Rotimi Adabari who was elected local councillor in 2004 and then re-elected five years later. And Rotimi at bar, uh, he came in as an asylum seeker, he then set up a little business for himself on intercultural understanding, and was doing sessions for various people, uh, and then he became a public representative and independent. He was elected uh, as, as mayor of, 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 of the town for a period of time, which garnered huge publicity. And the image, of course, on the cover with the postcard that went round, I mean, once I saw that image, it had to go on the book, because it is almost the classic front cover of an American book about, say, of an American politician or leader, Except that it's Irish. In other words, basically, uh, it has the flag behind it. And Irish people don't do the flag as much as the Americans. The flag is everywhere in America. So the flag, because it was the council chambers, uh, and of course he's he's chairing the meeting and doing that leadership thing. So the image had to be used from that point of view. But the thing of it is, is that that there is nothing quite like that. You can search the image, search the internet, and. Google image and Flickr till time comes home you will not find any other photographs of any other African men or women in in, in leadership positions doing that iconic thing because he is if you will an outlier at this stage but his template for becoming if you will a local councillor is certainly one that has been studied by a number of other people, a number of other Africans. He is identified very strongly with the locality and with the local community. He sees himself as a local representative elected by a predominantly white community. There are only a few hundred, say, African people who could vote for him conceivably in Port Leash, That would never be enough. So there are very few immigrant candidates in Ireland who can ever get elected into public office by merely relying upon uh, their co-ethnics. So with the exception of of maybe the one ward of Mulhuddard, there is probably no ward in Ireland that can conceivably elect somebody merely on the basis of their ethnicity if their ethnicity is not quite Irish, and that's very interesting. So the strategies that people are going to have to take, if you will, are to, to enter into the world's politics are going to have to define themselves as Irish in ways that are acceptable to, to others. So the, so in, in, if there is, if you will, a, a contestation of Irishness, it's not that these people are radically being able to contest what it is to be Irish, it's more like they're, they're trying to join in, uh, and, 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 and in a sense that there is still some quite big journey or time before what we mean uh, to be Irish you know, is unsettled by the presence of, say, migrants in politics or, or the children of, of immigrants in Irish life or sport or whatever. And one of the major problems we have, unfortunately, in this country is that we turn down the highest proportion of applications for naturalisation for entitled persons and anywhere Know, anywhere, uh, I mean, the UK turns out around six, and they have had these incredibly draconian policies in recent years that have really emphasised the sense of the state closing down on citizenship and citizenship tests. But nearly everybody who applies for citizenship in the UK, who meets the basic criteria, gets to become a UK citizen. And similar things hold in Australia. Similar things hold in Canada. But in Ireland, the turn-down rate is 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 almost half, and it's entirely because those decisions are made by officials. You know, a, under authority delegated to the minister without transparent criteria, but there's a real sense that they too are part of this, if you will, underlying consensus about what Irishness constitutes that is exemplified by the referendum on citizenship. So they are, in a sense, defending Irishness, defending Ireland, by these exclusionary decisions. And it's of no accident that these turn-down rates are at their highest in the last year or two, when the majority of applicants who are now entitled to apply for Irish citizenship are Black Africans who used to be asylum seekers who are the very people who precipitated with the moral panic around them, the referendum of 2004. So there are real issues of, of, of Irishness being racialised in that sense, uh, and there are these strategies of Africans to include themselves, uh, and I think this sets up a whole series of, of dilemmas and challenges for Irish society, and in my last sentence, it goes back to the idea that when we talk about being Irish, we, we, leave, out, we leave out all of this and it's knocking at the door very very quietly to be let in at this stage uh, and it's very early days yet i mean in other words i find debates about irishness and discussions of irishness are to be in a sense very old fashioned now in this sense but there but there doesn't seem to be a great number of other voices saying this and that is a bit of a problem thank you